Now, again, I'll be reading from Romans chapter 12, 9 through 18. Are we there? Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in seal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. The Lord always adds a blessing to the reading of this holy word. Reverend. It's actually the, the right reverend eminence or something. I, I haven't been called reverend in 30 years. And I was happy with that until <laughs> today. Well, as we have our Bibles open, am I? There we go. Have our Bibles open to Romans chapter 12. I want to bow in prayer. Our Father, would you please come? This is your word. These are your people. This is your church. Please send your spirit upon us, O Lord, that we might hear your voice. That, Father, with, with all the joy and reverence that your word is due. Father, we don't want to go through the motions here. We don't want to file in and file out. We don't want to deliver a script and listen with half an ear and then leave unchanged. We want your power upon us, your voice to be heard and our lives to be changed. Come, O oh Lord, I pray, through the power of your Spirit. Amen. Amen. Well, we are, we are finishing up a three-part series entitled The Culture of Community Life. In this series, we've been exploring what the Word of the Living God says about family life in the church. If, if you are new to us or if you are 
perhaps a bit of a skeptic or agnostic or doubter. Uh, we're glad you're here, uh, very glad you're here, and, and, and I dare to think that you may hear some things today that intrigue you just a little bit, because even skeptics and doubters and agnostics acknowledge that we as human beings have a sense of need for belonging. We have a sense of need for community. And it may surprise you that the Bible actually says a lot about that, that in fact when the Bible summarizes all of the law of God, it summarizes it in two simple ways, love God with all your being and then love your neighbor as yourself. Live in loving community with other people. This is at the very heart of the genuine and authentic Christian faith. Tragedy is that so very many times in churches where Christians gather, uh, community life doesn't happen, or at least does not happen the way it should. Tragedy is that very often in churches, the opposite of community life happens, and division and strife and rancor exist. And, and so we acknowledge that. If you're not a believer, uh, there's a sense of which we feel like we just owe you an apology. If, if you've ever seen in and among us or in the church or in churches where division and not unity, where hostility rather than love, when enmity rather than peace have existed, that grieves us even as it grieves you and, and it grieves the heart of God even more. But I do hope that if you're in that, I'm not sure what I believe phase of life and journey, that perhaps you will hear something today that will pull at your heart and, and connect to a deep longing and yearning that I believe, we believe, God has put into every human heart. And may it be that this will speak to you. We who are Christians want to hear these messages not as a simple abstract study or exercise, but we do believe that the Bible is the Word of God. We believe that it is living and abiding and powerful and that it can convict us and it can lead us to change and lead us further on a path toward love and a life together in community. And our text for this series on community life has been here in Romans chapter 12. If you've been here since week one, you may recall that we summarized the book of Romans and this teaching in this way. I said, if we have been called, if we have been called into the security of God's love through the gospel, then we are also called into the community of that love as a way of life. If we have been called into the security of God's love through the gospel, then we have also been called into the community of that love as a way of life. Repeat this after me. If we have been called into the security of God's love, through the gospel, then we are also called into the community of that love as a way of life. 
If we've been called into the security of God's love through the gospel, which is what Romans 1 through 11 is all about, if we have been called into the security of God's love, we are called into the community of that love. If, if we have experienced what Paul calls in Romans 12 and verse 1, the mercies of God that are offered to us in the gospel, if, if we have experienced the mercy of election by God's sovereign grace, that's Romans 9 through 11, if we have experienced redemption through the blood of God's Son, that's Romans 3, if we have experienced regeneration by the power of the Holy Spirit, that's Romans 6 and 7, if we have experienced justification, acceptance, and forgiveness, with God, Romans 4 and 5, if we have experienced adoption into the circle of God's family and His love, that's Romans 8, if we have experienced security in the grip of the love of God so that nothing can separate us from that love, Romans 8, and if we have experienced or are anticipating the experience of being glorified together with Christ in the presence of God, Romans 8, if we've experienced all of these mercies from God to us, we now must live in relationship with others in the light of those things. We who have experienced the love and security of God's love are called into the community of God's love. That's all review. That's no extra charge. That just gets you up to speed where we are today. Last week, we talked, began to talk about what I called 12 not-so-easy steps toward creating a community life of love. There's actually going to be 13, so just consider it a, a baker's dozen of points here. These are, these are things we need to share. You may remember this from last week. Share our passion for the Lord. Share our welcome of people without partiality. Share our homes in hospitality. Share our brothers' and sisters' needs. Share our life moments offering cheers when others are blessed and tears when they are afflicted. Share our truth being filled with knowledge so that we can instruct and encourage each other. These are elements of community life together. I want us to, to look now at several more, and we're going to only be able to touch on these. We're not going to be able to linger long, but I hope and pray that God will write them on our hearts. So for today, here's, here's the first. Here's what we need to share. We need to share our gifts. Share our gifts. Keep your Bibles open uh, to Romans chapter 12 and look at verses 4 through 8. Romans 12, verses 4 through 8. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with 
cheerfulness. In other words, every believer, every child of God has been given spiritual gifts and God calls us to use them, to use them in ministering to each other in the community of God's people. New Testament church life and community life are not passive spectator sports. Leo mentioned uh, the group that got together this morning to watch a football game. It would have been interesting to have a video camera going uh, on that group just to watch the, the experience of collective vegetation or something like that. I don't know about you, but when I, when I watch sports, I, I tend to melt into my chair. It's like uh, P.G. Wodehouse, the comic writer, said, it's, it's like, somebody, like when I got poured into my chair and the chair forgot to say when. You know, just, I'm, just, I'm just slouched. I am. It's just this blob of humanity watching the sports. The reality is, and, and I don't mean this to be a critique and I can say this to the glory of God and to the praise of His Spirit, a critique of you folks. But the reality is in many churches, there's a whole lot of couch potatoes. There's the, uh, that old saying that uh, 20% of the people do 80% of the work, that kind of thing. I thank God that's not true here. That is not true here. I don't know what the percentages are, but I do know this, that people, all kinds of people, are taking their spiritual gifts and are offering them as a living sacrifice to God in service to others within the body of Christ. And, and all I can say, brothers and sisters, is increase and abound. Increase and abound. It's like Paul said to the Thessalonians, he said, I don't need to teach you to love one another because you have already been taught by God to do that, but just increase and abound. Increase and abound. Go on loving, go on serving, go on taking those gifts that God has entrusted to you and use them for the building up of the body of Christ. This community of faith needs you. If it's going to be built strong and deep, every one of us needs to be all in. Because every one of us has been gifted and Christ has entrusted to us spiritual gifts. And it's as if He says, okay, here you are. Here are your gifts. Here are your abilities. Here are the things you can do. Now, let me see what you can do with them. Let me see the impact that they can have as my spirit works together with your spirit to use those gifts in serving others. Watch what God does. Watch what God does. We are told today to share our gifts. Next, share your humility. Share your humility. In this text, Romans chapter 12, humility is described in at least five ways. And I just want you to just see these and sense these. Notice in verse 3, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. In other words, 
Think humbly about yourself. Don't elevate yourself. Don't think more highly of yourself. Don't have inflated views of yourself. Then down in verse 16, live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty. The word means high or lofty. We've got all kinds of words for people like this. They're smug. They're snooty. They're hoity-toity. They're highfalutin, they're snobby, they're high and mighty, they're pompous, they're uppity. You get the idea. Don't be that. Don't be that. Instead of being haughty, notice verse 16 again, live in harmony with one another, do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Associate, literally, be carried along with the lowly. Come alongside of the lowly as an equal with them. Do life with the lowly. This is an explicit commandment, brothers and sisters, that we not consider anybody lower than us. That there is no inferior, there are no lessers, there are no little people in the kingdom of God. There's no underclass or undereducated or underparented or underwelcomed or underprivileged or underappreciated or undergifted. Just just fill it in. We don't see each other that way. Paul says, associate, draw alongside, do life with the lowly. As the world defines lowliness in the church, don't have that definition. There are no lowly in the body of Christ. And so, folks, Paul is saying to us, if, if, there are, if there are people you are looking down on, your head is angled this way toward, then change the angle of your head and look up. Elevate others. Don't treat anyone as inferior. No one is inferior. We who are made by God, are made in the image of God, and therefore equal. We who have been redeemed by Christ have been bought with the precious blood of Christ. The same precious blood that redeemed me has redeemed you. There is no distinction. And so, let there be none who look at others as lowly. Then Paul goes on, verse 16, live in harmony with one another, Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own eyes. Don't be a Christian know-it-all. Don't be so sure of your opinions. If you have an opinion, hold it loosely. Assume you were wrong. that sound familiar? Assume you were wrong. Because you always are at least partly wrong. So am I. Don't be wise. Never be wise in your own eyes. Don't buy the lie that you always are entitled to an opinion. We're only entitled to an opinion when we are informed. When we have studied, when we have thought about it, when we have reflected, when we have heard the other side. When we form an opinion without the work needed to inform that opinion. It's just being wise in our own eyes. Paul says, don't be a Christian know-it-all. 
community life requires this kind of humility. But it, it doesn't end there. I want you to go back to verse 10 and see that Paul is not just talking here about humility that, is, that you know, doesn't do certain things. You don't be wise in your own eyes. You don't think of yourself highly. You don't think of yourself haughty. But it's also a humility that actively honors others. Look at verse 10. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. The, the words that Paul uses here in the Greek speak of, speak of leading the way and show, showing honor. Get out ahead of everybody else in the practice of honoring everybody else. Make it your lifestyle, make it your mindset, make it your heart set that you are always looking for ways to honor others. You are, you are noticing in their life the fruit of the Spirit, how they have changed. They are, they're not the man or the woman they once were. There's the fruit of love and joy and peace in their lives that wasn't there before. Recognize it. Call attention to it. Say, hey, brother, sister, I see what God's doing in your life. And to Him be glory, but I want to honor you. I thank God for it, and I thank you for it. See the fruit of the Spirit. See the gifts of the Spirit. When somebody is serving and serving well, and they're, they're giving of themselves, thank them and honor them. Outdo one another in showing honor. Don't wait for others to come around to honor you. Look for others and ways to honor them. That's what Paul's getting at here. It's that kind of humility that says, doesn't just say, well, you know, I'm not going to be haughty and I'm not going to be high-minded. It's not just that. It's also that humility that looks at others. And even as we, what's the word? It's the opposite of elevate. Even as we lower ourselves, we elevate others. We lift them up. We honor them. True humility finds great joy in praising and honoring others. Saying what we know by God's grace we're going to hear from the lips of our Savior one day. Saying to each other, well done. Well done. We need to share humility with each other. Third, Paul says if we're going to have a culture of community in the church, we need to share our peace. We need to share our peace. And oh, how timely is this for our present hour. What a week it has been. What a week it has been. A, a man mails bombs to leaders Another tries to enter a black church to kill and then finds two that he can kill. A man opens fire in a synagogue. Racial rancor and animosity is everywhere. Republicans and Democrats share, in my judgment, equal guilt for hateful rhetoric. Everyone's trying to out-accuse and out-insult and out-blame everyone else. Brothers and sisters, we must be different. 
Paul says, prioritize peace. Prioritize peace. Notice the text. Verse chapter 12 and verse 14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Verse 17. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is a call to shalom. It's, it's not just an absence of open hostility, but it's, Paul, uh, Paul is calling us to the practice of a kind of full, holistic evil overcoming love toward one another in a, in a world and time and culture that have no civility and no peace and, and nothing but rancor, Paul is saying, be different. Be different, brothers and sisters, in the church and outside the church. And, and even when you have major disagreements, in chapter 14, Paul opens it up in verse 1 by the words, As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. And then he goes on to describe how in the church there are going to be all different kinds of convictions, different opinions. Um, what's the right thing to eat? What's the wrong thing to drink? What's the right thing to wear? What's, you know, all kinds of cultural things, all kinds of preferences and perspectives and opinions and and Paul says look don't fight about these things don't fight about the, each of you can have your own opinion he says don't quarrel over these things instead seek and pursue what makes for peace brothers and sisters it's true right If we, were, if we were to take a poll right here of political points of view, if we were to take a poll on cultural preferences, if we were to take a poll on dietary preferences and philosophies, if we were to take, it, it would astound us how different we are. And every one of those things can be a source of contention and argument. And Paul says, no, not in the church. He says, if you have convictions, hold on to them, and you'll answer to God for them. And if you've got different convictions, hold on to them, you'll answer to God for them. Each one will stand or fall before God on his or her own two feet. And he says, pursue peace. Pursue peace. Lay aside the arguments, lay aside the quarrels, Walk in peace with one another. And if somebody curses you, what do you do? What's the answer? Bless him. And if someone does you harm, don't seek vengeance. Rather, do what? Leave it to God, because God will take care of it. And if your enemy treats you badly, what do you do? 
Pray for him. Give him something to eat. Give him a cup of cold water. Seek peace and pursue it. And realize that at the end, God will have the last word and God will set everything straight. If we would have community life together, we must share our peace. Next, we need to share accountability. Share accountability. If you go over to Romans 16 and verse 17, just turn over there a page or two or scroll over there, if you would, uh, to chapter 16, verse 17, Paul says, I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them, for such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites, and by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. Notice what Paul says here. If in the community of God's people and if in the life of the church there are those who cause divisions, there are those who create obstacles contrary to the truth, if there are those who sow discord, what does he say? Avoid them. Stay away from them. Hold them accountable. Don't indulge divisive people. I'm not going to say a lot about this, but brothers and sisters, in every church there will always be at some point or another somebody who tries to drive a wedge of division into the life of the church. And Paul says, avoid those people. The unity of the body of Christ, the community of God's people is way too precious for us to let people like that divide us. Hold them accountable. Hold them accountable. Thank God for accountability. Next, share your focus. Share your focus. Share your focus. Look at, look at verse 16 of chapter 12. Verse 16, live in harmony with one another. Live in harmony with one another. And again, flipping over to chapter 15 and verse 5, may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice the phrase in both verses, live in harmony. That is actually a translation of a Greek word that means to be of one mind. Be of one mind. Be one-minded as believers. Now what's that about? What, what are we to be single-minded on? What are we to share a focus on? What we are to be focused on the mission. We are to be focused on the gospel and the fact that we are here to proclaim the gospel to each other and to the world. So Paul writes in Philippians chapter 1, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm, hear this, standing firm in one spirit with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Brothers and sisters, this is, this is, what, this is the glue that holds the church together. We have all of our different opinions about this and that and the other thing. On this we need to be united. The gospel 
is that message that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. It is that message that God's eternal Son became the Son of Mary and took on human flesh and in that body lived a perfect life that He might die an atoning sacrifice for our sins so that we, by simple faith in Him, just trusting in Him, trusting in Him without any of our own works contributing anything, we, trusting in Him, might have everlasting life and might have the Spirit of God come into our life and change us from the inside out. This is the good news. And it's the news that all of us need to hear all the time. And it's the news that every one of your neighbors needs to hear. And we have to be of one mind on this. We have to share this focus. It is about the gospel. It is about the mission. It is about reaching people for Jesus. It's about sharing the gospel with each other so that we become a gospel-centered and saturated church. And it's about sharing that gospel with people who don't know Jesus yet because if they don't know Jesus, they will go to hell. If they don't find forgiveness and get right with God in this life, they will forever feel His wrath in the next life. And if we don't love our neighbors in that way, and realize that we have the message of eternal life, we, we have the truth in Jesus. And if we don't take that truth and with single-minded, shared focus say, whatever else we may talk about and think about, on this we are united. We must pool our gifts and our love and our resources and our money and our everything on this to reach people for Jesus. To reach people for Jesus. Paul says you need to share your focus. Don't let things get this out of focus. Take this out of focus. Share this focus. Is this what your life is about? Is this what my life is about? That I might, that I might live each day of my life in such a way that I call attention to Jesus. That I call attention to Jesus. Paul, later on in Romans 15, he says, this is my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ has never been named before. I want to find people who have never heard of Jesus and tell them about Jesus. Let's unite on that. That we will in our neighborhoods, we will in our communities, we will in our workplace, we will in our families, we will throughout the world find people who haven't heard of Jesus and commit everything we have to this. If we do that, our life together as a community will stay strong because we will share the same focus and we will fellowship in the gospel side by side for the faith of the gospel. So share your focus and then next, share your praise. Share your praise. Chapter 15, verses 5 and 6. I already read it, but I want to read it again and then skip down to verses 8 through 11. And I want you to, I want you to hear God's precious word here. Romans 15 and verse 5. May the God of endurance and encouragement... May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together 
that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He is saying, share your praise. Share your worship. Notice verse 8, For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles, by the way, the Greek word for Gentiles is ethnos. We get ethnicity from it. And he's saying here that the ethnicities, all the various shades and sizes and cultures of human experience that the Gentiles, the ethnicities, might glorify God for His mercy. As it is written, therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles, the ethnicities, and sing to your name. I will praise you among the Gentiles. I will be with them as they sing to your name. And again he says, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with His people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Let all the peoples extol Him. This is a call to shared praise and worship. This is, this is Paul saying that God is about the business of gathering people from all different kind of people groups into one new humanity, one new human race, His race, His holy priesthood, and in them and through them rendering praise to His name that we share our praise, we share our worship. This is what holds us together as the people of God. This is why, folks, Sunday is so important. This is why Sunday celebration and worship is so important. Because we need to hear each other praising Jesus. We need to hear the voices of God's saints. There's, there's something going on in our culture these days. Studies have actually been done about this. Of particularly younger folks who are treating Sunday praise as if it is an extra on their life, in their life. And they're, they're, they're calculating all the various times that they need. Their, they need you know, their exercise time, their downtime, their me time, their this time, their that time. And then, once they've done all that calculating, they figure, okay, that leaves me with one or two Sunday afternoons, in our case, that I, that I can give to God. And, and, and often... Uh, people actually go up to pastors and say things like that. I have figured out my life, and this is where, this is where praise belongs, right here. Oh, my friends. First of all, all of life ought to be praise. Everything ought to be about praise and worship. Everything. But, oh, we need to be together. We need to be together. We need to hear the voices of God's people praising Jesus. Come often and come early. Come early and come often. Don't neglect the shared celebration of praise among the people of God. You need it. God deserves it. And we need it.
We need it. That's why Paul says in Ephesians 5 and Colossians 3, sing to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs because we need to hear the singing of God's people. How deep the Father's love for us. How vast beyond all measure. I need to hear you sing that. Because there are times when I'm not feeling it. And when I hear you singing it, it touches me. It gets to me. It affects me. It changes me. Paul says, among all the Gentiles, all the ethnicities, let us sing praise to his name. And this is what will keep us as community. If we are not sharing praise, we will not stay together. The, the, the church family that sings together stays together. Stays together. May God give us grace to see this. And then finally, as I close, we need to share our hope to share our hope. We live in a broken world, an embattled world, a world that at times can feel so very bad and so very lost that we can despair. We need hope. Romans, so much of it is about hope. In chapter 5 and verse 2, we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Think about that phrase. We rejoice in hope of the glory of God. We rejoice in hope that we are going to have a vision of, an experience of, and a sharing in the glory of God. God is all glorious and the day is coming when we're going to see it and experience it and have lots of it rub off on us. And we are going to have, as Paul says in Philippians, a glorious body just like Christ. We live and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Or you know Romans 8, beginning in verse 18. Just hear this for the encouragement and blessing of your souls. Paul says, I consider, Romans 8, verse 18, I consider, if you're one of those who are suffering, this is for you, if you love Jesus, I consider that the sufferings of this present time, brothers, sisters, whatever they are, how bad they are, however bad they are, however many they are, however deep they are, however painful they are, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves 
who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies, for in this hope we were saved. Do you, do you say amen to Paul's words? Yes. We groan for it, don't we? In these bodies that are so weak and full of pain and they're getting old and they're getting soft and, and they're, they're, they're dying. We groan and all creation groans with us. And what is creation groaning for? What are we groaning for? The revealing of the children of God. What does that mean? It, it means this. Right now, as John puts it, we are the children of God, but as of now, the world doesn't see that. And in fact, you look in the mirror and you don't see that. You don't see it. We don't see it. The world doesn't see it. It's veiled. The fact that we are the the children of God destined for glory. We are the children of God destined for eternity. Destined for the new heavens and the new earth in which righteousness dwells. Justice prevails. Peace reigns. Our bodies are transformed. We will be glorious. We will shine like the noonday sun. The fact that that is going to happen is now veiled. It's now covered. And you look in the mirror and you see whatever you see. But there is going to be this revealing. There's going to be this unveiling. There's the, the, the cloak and the covering is going to be taken off. And all of a sudden, this group of people right here, I mean, this group of people, I, I, it would be nice if we were all together when this happened, wouldn't it? Just so we could experience it together. This group of people is destined for a day when there is going to be blazing light. Blazing light. Just shining forth. This group of people in eternal heavens and new earth is going to be a blazing noonday brightness light. This is our hope. And when I wake up tomorrow morning and I read the news, and when I go to work on Thursday and I got to deal with the obnoxious co worker, when I wake up on Friday and I get a doctor's appointment and I find out that the diagnosis isn't good. Or when I look at the family picture and I see somebody missing either because they have died or because they were in a far country, far away from Jesus. I don't feel very glorious. Oh, but oh, the day is coming. The day is coming. The day is coming. And all the weakness will be no more. And the obscurity will be no more. And the blazing sun will shine as the blazing glory of Christ reflects off of us. And the angels, the Scriptures tell us, on that day, will recognize us to be their superiors. And we will reign with Christ forever and ever. I don't know about you, but I need this hope. I do know about you. You need this hope. And brothers and sisters, as a community of the faith, let us be those who share this hope with each other day after day and week after week in the middle of our trials, in the middle of heartaches, in the middle of our tears. 
Let's remind each other that while sorrow lasts for a nighttime, joy comes in the morning. And what a morning it's going to be. Brothers and sisters, this kind of community life does not happen by osmosis or magic. This, this takes commitment. This takes commitment. We're all going to need, if we want to experience a little bit of Acts 2 and Acts 4 and New Testament church life, we're going to need to commit to share all these things with each other. Even in those days and weeks and years when it's hard. We must commit to these things. And if we do, all those neighbors I was talking about earlier, they're going to look at us and say how they love each other. And they're going to know that we are his disciples by the love we have for one another. The early Christians were hated, hated by the Romans, by their Roman neighbors, but they used to say the neighbors did behold how they love one another. May that be said about us. Community life. We who have a part in the security of God's love through the gospel also have a part in the community of that love as a way of life. May God grant this to us. Let's pray. Lord, would you please create in the the words of the old hymn a tie that binds our hearts together in Christian love. A fellowship of kindred minds just like that above. Father, you have brought us into the security of your love. Please bind us together as the community of that love for the strengthening and edifying and blessing of our souls, for the witness of your church, for the fame and glory of Jesus, I pray. Amen.